0: If you like the Indo-Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The whole housing market is propped up on these bad loans. They will fail. Today on the Indo-Daily, are we heading for another economic crash? Banks collapsing We're all waiting with bated breath as to how European markets will start the day off the back of the news that the Swiss Central Bank is standing by with help if needed. Property booming. The CSO confirming house prices rose by 14.1% in the year to June, a price index at its highest point since April of 2007. And regulators scrambling.
1: These are uncharted waters and we're in for a bumpy ride.
0: With the banking property and economic meltdown of 2008 still fresh in the memory, most people are wondering if history is about to repeat itself. But is now a good time to buy a house? And could the
1: problems of 2023 be equally devastating to ordinary people's lives? Children not going to college because their parents paid too much money in rent. It will affect multinationals considering moving into Ireland and, oh, will we create 400 jobs in Dublin? Where are all those people people going to live?
0: I'm Fiannon Sheehan, and today on the Indo Daily, I'm joined by Irish independent and Sunday independent columnist and presenter of the business on RT Radio 1, Richard Kern, to look back at his predictions of the last property crash and ask, what's different this time? Richard Kern, can you explain in a nutshell what's happening with Credit Suisse, Silicon Valley Bank, and how the two problems in those banks are different? On Friday, the liquidity outflows and market volatility showed that it was no longer possible to restore the necessary confidence and that a swift and stabilizing solution was absolutely necessary. This solution is the takeover of Credit Suisse by UBS.
1: Yeah, in a way, they're, they're, they are two different stories, but they're connected because they have brought about nervousness, whether it's in uh, among investors in the United States around Silicon Valley Bank and other banks, or whether it's in Europe because of Credit Suisse. Both were probably badly run banks. Silicon Valley wasn't a major scandal in terms of how it was run, but they made mistakes insofar as they, they lent out huge amounts of money to uh, tech companies. And those tech companies during the really good days uh, would have had tons of money to put on deposit with them. So they decided to put $90 billion of that deposit money in long-term US treasury bonds, which is normally a fairly safe thing to do. But when interest rates go up, those bonds become less valuable. Banks tend not to get panicked about that because they don't often have to sell them. But there was a run on Silicon Valley Bank where there were concerns and they had to start selling some of those bonds and they suddenly had to realize the losses. So in a way, a fundamental risk management mistake in Silicon Valley Bank came back to haunt them. The second one with Credit Suisse, which is on a bigger scale, really, because, you know, it's, it's a major international bank in Europe and globally. And it, it was a badly run bank for years. Uh, management made mistakes. They got into all kinds of difficulty. They've been fined in several jurisdictions for all kinds of breaches of regulations. They then lost several billion dollars uh, through investments in a company called Greensill Capital that went bust. That sort of put a spotlight on them and, and a lot of concern. They hired a new chairman to come in and fix the bank, and he had to resign very shortly afterwards because he breached COVID regulations. So everything they tried to touch seemed to go wrong. And what's happened now is because of the size of that bank, the Swiss authorities have said, look, it's too big. It was too big. We can't allow this to fail. So we're going to lend it 50 billion. We're going to get UBS to buy it, and that way it won't actually go bust.
0: We're all waiting with bated breath as to how European markets will start the day off the back of the news that the Swiss Central Bank is standing by with help if needed. Is it thought this will calm the nerves?
1: But you would have to say that after the scale of some of the losses we've seen over the last three or four days, it doesn't come close to making up those. So there are clearly still some questions being asked. There is a problem. And the problem is. The state authorities and the regulators and governments don't want to get back into these blank checks of bailing out banks. So what they've done with Credit Suisse is they've said there's a particular category of bondholders that are owed $17 billion. They're going to get nothing in this. And that has spooked the markets. So are we
0: saying that we've got two badly run banks For different reasons, they had underlying problems, but this is not symptomatic of the banking system as a whole.
1: I think it's fair to say that the banks in Europe are probably generally a bit better uh, capitalized and in a better place than some of the smaller banks in America, kind of regional banks. I think we could see a few more of them get into trouble. But what unifies this, and which is a cause of concern, is the trigger has been rising interest rates. And as interest rates have gone up, it's been so long since we had relatively high interest rates that there's going to be pain in that transition. And that's kind of what we're seeing now. And that pain may well result in banks getting more nervous so they'll pull back on their lending. And if they pull back on their lending, that slows down the economy. Businesses that need credit find that they can't get credit and they're struggling to maybe repay credit because interest rates have gone up. So we haven't seen that yet, but that's that's the real danger as, as something that, that could really affect banks and the wider economy so if you are
0: Christine Lagarde or indeed uh, Pascal Donohue, uh what exactly can you do uh, at, at this point when you're basically trying to control rising in inflation rising prices you're but that's also causing a, a cost of living crisis you're as a result you're trying to push up interest rates to control that but that is then putting the squeeze uh, on people on on the margins what what are you supposed to do
1: here they're supposed to try and find the balance and they made a they made a very bad mistake first firstly by they didn't realize that the cost of living and inflation spike was going to last and that it was it was um It was going to endure. So they were too slow to put up interest rates to try and deal with it. And putting up uh, interest rates to try and deal with inflation is a bit like steering a car on on a country road. When the car just starts to move in the direction of the ditch, if you make a tiny little correction with the steering wheel early on, which is how we drive, everything is fine. If you leave it a bit too late, you must turn the steering wheel more quickly, more aggressively and more forcefully. And that's when problems happen. And that's exactly what happened with central banks and the European Central Bank. They were too slow to put up rates. So they've now had to put them up at speed and very aggressively.
0: Similarly, we are are seeing a, a rebalancing in tech companies, um, COVID-19 drew, drove everybody uh, online because they're working from home, studying from home, living entirely at home. Uh, we had this increased demand for the, the the services that tech companies were supplying. We're now seeing a recorrection there. Should we be concerned about that?
1: Yeah, I think I think there's a very real threat. One of the reasons is the reasons why technology companies created so many jobs and Uh, became, you know, so valuable and such a hot sector and have done so much to the Irish economy, is that we are in the middle of a technology revolution. And the problems that technology can solve, that's all still there. And the opportunity, the business opportunity that that presents in the long term, that's all still there. The problem was that too much money got poured into tech companies. Relatively young managers didn't know what to do with all the money, and they just kept expanding, expanding, and expanding. And they weren't looking at building their profitability. Many of them weren't making a profit. The companies were overvalued. And now we're seeing the investors say, hang on a minute, Uh, we still think this company has a lot of potential, but I'm not going to put more money into it because I don't know when you guys are going to make a profit. So the the people running those firms now, whether it's the giant metas that own Facebook or whether it's smaller, uh, higher growth companies, they're beginning to look at their costs now because their investors are saying, we're not going to just put blank checks and shovel loads of money in here. So that slows things down because it means they have to let people go. It means they have to stop or put on a hiring freeze. We've seen Meta you know, get rid of over 20,000 employees and thousands of jobs that they were hoping to hire have been put on hold. So that that is a real problem and a real worry. I'd be more concerned that with the loss of Silicon Valley Bank now, and lots of Irish companies would have availed of uh, finance from that bank, that's gone from the market now. And investors are going to really, really question how much money they put into young, small tech companies. And many with good ideas and good potential might not happen, you know. And and that's a worry for us because we were doing so well in the sector. Can you take us back to
0: 2007? Because... People will obviously be slightly spooked to hear phrases like burning of bondholders, banking collapses, property booms that that they're hearing at the moment. 2007, you were predicting that there was something awry with the Irish economic boom and that the the, the Celtic tiger uh, didn't have nine lives as such.
1: (sighs) Yeah, at the time, Finon, it was October 2006. I got involved in a television debate on primetime with an economist where I said that I was of the view that there was a real risk that house prices were going to crash. Uh, the economist took a counter view and said, no, no, we're going to have a soft landing. And it was on the back of that that uh, I made a, a, a spent the next few months making a documentary. In the documentary, we basically said there's a genuine risk of a property crash and if it were to happen... This is what a property crash might look like because many people had never seen house prices fall.
0: By early 2009, the government had laid out a multi-year program of fiscal adjustment. They were hoping that this was a temporary panic. It actually turned out the banks were in deep financial trouble because they'd made all these loans for real estate and real estate prices went down by 60%.
1: But in the climate in which that television program went out, where people were so heavily indebted, so heavily borrowed, so um, kind of myopic in a way about the never-ending potential of the property ladder that things will only go up, uh, there was a huge reaction to it, some positive and a lot negative. Um, And, you know, the Taoiseach had a go at me over it. Lots of bankers had a go at me over it. And basically... I, I had suggested that there could be a 30% correction in house prices, and uh, it ended up being about 55, 52, 55.
0: At this point, we're being told then that, you know, the fundamentals of the economy are, are, are sound, there is stricter regulation on the, the banking uh, sector. There are restrictions in place around how much people can borrow. The, the property developers are complaining about credit being available in the market. So are we back in 2008 or are
1: we not? No, I think, I think honestly, Finna, we're not. Today, it was confirmed they're back to their boom time peak. The CSO
0: confirming house prices rose by 14.1% in the year to June, a price index at its highest point since April of 2007.
1: I think enough things are different. And just very briefly, some of them are at that time, there were 90,000, you know, in 2006, the peak, there were 90,000 mortgages given out in Ireland. You know, at the moment, like last year, there's like 50,000. Um, people were doing 100% mortgages or higher. We're not doing those now. The banks won't lend on that sort of basis. People have to put up 10 or 15 or 20 percent. We're also, we had tracker mortgages were introduced where people were just paying, effectively paying very little in interest repayments only. That's come to an end. There are legacy trackers there, but there aren't new ones being issued. So that's different. The level of indebtedness, just to give you one example, at the height of the boom, if you took the total national household debt, it was double national disposable household income. Today, our total national household debt is about equal to our national disposable income. So like that's a halving of that relative exposure compared to 2006. So they're all good reasons. The other big, big reason is we need to build more houses and there are lots of people willing and able to, build, to buy those houses because of the salaries that they enjoy and their employment. And the state you know, together with these international funds, have been buying 42% of new houses that get built. So they're going to keep on buying as long as the state has money and it needs more houses and access to them. They're going to keep on buying. And then as long as there's a high level of employment, there will be enough people able to afford to save and then borrow the money to buy houses. So what we're likely to see, in my view, is we may well see house prices fall we may see them soften. They, they could even fall by, you know, 10% or, you know, but I don't believe that's as catastrophic as it was in 2008 when they fell by 50. But even if they fell by 10%, you wouldn't necessarily see the same number of people falling into negative equity as, as back then.
0: Yeah, the, the Taoiseach, Lea Vreikar, talking about the economy needing 250,000 Houses to be built uh, in order to even catch up on our on our current position. The tarnished to Michal Martin, talking about turning a corner on the housing crisis, which is a rather unfortunate. Phrase that people will again remember back in in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. That phrase being used as well. Are you basically saying that that's what that what is protecting us from a property crash this time is just a shortage of supply? It's simple as that.
1: Uh, The population is growing and we we had a population growth back then. But to put it in context, between, let's say, 1991 and 1996, the population grew by 100,000 in Ireland and we built in that period 100,000 houses. Between 2011 and 2016, the population grew in Ireland by 200,000 and we built during that period maybe 10,000 houses. So we need probably, you know, 40,000 houses a year, I don't think we have a hope in hell of managing to build that number. The system and the capacity with within the construction industry, within the public sector, within local authorities, we don't have the capacity to actually build the number of houses that we need right now. So we're not going to make the numbers. But the very demand that that creates will, I think, support prices and stop them from really crashing.
0: Is it a good time to buy a house, either A, as your your primary residence, your home, or B, as a rental property?
1: It's almost always a good time to buy a house as your primary residence and home because if you can afford to buy it, we've seen over the years that in Ireland generally, buying a house is better long-term than renting a house for all kinds of reasons around rent and property rights and so forth. So being a homeowner is a better thing. If you can afford to buy the house today and you can afford the repayments allowing for interest rates to go up by a bit more, then have a home, you know, but don't buy it with a view to saying this will get us on the so-called property ladder and we'll flip it in two years and we'll buy a bigger house. That's a different way of looking at it. In terms of renting or becoming a landlord as an investment, House prices are very high at the moment, but rents are very high. And a lot of what we're seeing, I think, about landlords leaving the market is, is uh, some of it has to do with their fears about what new regulations might be coming down the road, particularly if there's a change of government and if Sinn Féin are in. Some of them are just saying, I'm getting close to retirement. I'm sitting on a load of equity in this. These three houses were my retirement. I'm going to take the money now and go. So that opens up the possibility for people who have access to money to, to buy a house and rent it. The other
0: option is, of course, that you, you leave your money sitting in the bank. Uh, if you're a depositor should with a, with a good chunk of savings, uh, should you be concerned about what's happening with the banking system?
1: Well, concerned in the sense that uh, if you're worried about uh, the banks going under and you losing your deposit, uh, we saw a complete implosion of the Irish banking system in 2008 and depositors didn't lose their money. There's absolutely no reason that even in that kind of a worst-case scenario that they would necessarily lose their money. I don't think that would be allowed to happen and I don't think it's a real risk right now. What about the American banks?
0: Because we'll all be... You know, we'll reflect on the days when we we learned far more about Burr Stearns, the Lehman Brothers, uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac than we ever thought we would in a a lifetime. Is there cause for concern about the regulation there? certainly been expressed by the European Commission at this point. Following the same risky practices that sunk former giants Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, Lehman also had a hand in securing America's high-risk subprime mortgages, believing that the popularity and sheer volume of those loans would net huge gains. But it didn't. Borrowers saturated the U.S. housing market, taking on enormous mortgages in spite of poor credit history. As the economy cooled, Americans found themselves with less cash to spend.
1: Yeah, regulation in America, I think, has gone a bit awry. Because after the last banking crash, they had lots of regulation. But then there's been political pressure in recent years. There's been a flood of new money created by the Federal Reserve and buying up bonds. That has allowed a low interest rate, lots of money washing through the system kind of approach. What they did was they, they drew up a list of banks that they decided were, were, were too big to fail. And on that basis, they needed to have additional capital and additional rules and levels of scrutiny. Banks that were below that size seem to have got away a lot more lightly. And Silicon Valley Bank was one of those. Republicans in particular are, are giving out and have been giving out about too much bank regulation. So there is a danger that You could see other mid-size or small-size regional banks in the US get into trouble because they they haven't been heavily regulated and they've made mistakes. But I think a lot of the really big banks, um, I, I don't see that happening. So
0: you're saying not 2008, but there are other problems on the horizon?
1: I think a lot of the problems stem from not building enough houses. And that stems from government policy successively not appreciating the value to a society and to an economy of having uh, a low price for a roof over your head. We were in a great position to to be able to deliver that because we're a small population, we've lots of space in our country as well. But I think the future shock isn't so much now a house price shock. The future shock are the consequences, social and economic, of not building enough houses and letting the housing market get into the state that it's in that will affect children not going to college because their parents paid too much money in rent it will affect multinationals considering moving into Ireland and oh, will we create 400 jobs in Dublin where are all those people going to live what's that price of housing going to be so the future shock now is over a period of time the loss of achieving our full social and economic potential as a country because we failed to build enough houses and enough affordable homes.
0: And my thanks to Richard Kern. I'm Fionon Sheehan and today's episode of The Indo Daily was produced by Gareth Mulhall, researched by Tabitha Monahan, with sound by Gavin Hennessy, and with thanks to Animo TV Productions. Archive clips from Virgin Media News, RTE News, Al Jazeera, BBC, The IMF, Euronews, Future Shock Property Crash produced by Animo TV Productions and independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.